Let us, uh, let's read Ephesians chapter 2, shall we, and reorient ourselves. I don't think we will review the numerous messages we've had on the preceding chapter and verses. We've reviewed several times already. We'll just trust that to our memories. We'll read the whole chapter, and then we'll focus on our subject this morning. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom... Ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, as Solomon, as it was said, when uh, meeting the Queen of Sheba, she exclaimed, The half hath ne- has never, the half was not told me. And Lord, we have not begun to appreciate the half of thy grace. Uh, lavished upon us in Christ. But it's in that grace we stand and uh, rejoice in hope. Lord, we uh, rely upon thy grace again to attend thy word, to minister to our hearts, that we might live not by bread only, but by every word of God. Be with our hearts and minds, Father, that we might not be hearers only, but doers, and take hold. Lay hold on on eternal life. We commend one another's uh, souls into thy influence and grace to that end. With thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Number of uh, themes themes in this passage of scripture. Last time we were looking at verses 1 to 6. Risen with Christ. And... This, uh, this morning, we want to focus on uh, verses 5 through 9. Saved by grace. All right? 
Now, we could argue, we're going to go through verses 7 to 9 if we look at the um, sequence, but he begins this theme in, uh, in verse 5. By grace ye are saved. In verse 7, that, he might, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And again in verse 8, by grace ye are saved. By now, I trust we are familiar with the... Uh, fact of scripture, how the scriptures are written and the truths that they contain, that three is a significant number. Three, um, three is a number of perfection. There are several numbers of that, but they emphasize different things. And when something is repeated three times, it is immutable. It cannot be changed. You'll see uh, God's covenant with Abraham was confirmed three times. Cannot be changed. This is what was so painful for Peter that he denied Christ three times. There was no going back from it. As a Jew, he would have known that. And we see that the Lord Jesus' grace was greater, walking him back and causing Peter to confess three times. I love you, Lord. He's so good. And here the apostle... um, Whether you want to attribute it to his natural rabbinical training, raised at the feet of Gamaliel from his tenderest years, uh, or whether you um, want to attribute it to the direct inspiration of the Spirit, no doubt there, well I shouldn't say no doubt, but it would seem to me most reasonable that they are woven together, the Spirit using both his prior training and exerting that influence on his mind. Yet three times it would come out. Grace, grace, grace. You and I and all people that have been saved have been saved by the grace of God. It is uh, to be lamented that there has arisen a huge theological uh, rift and division in the kingdom of God upon the earth over the nature of that grace. Uh, you have two main camps, the Arminians and the Calvinist camps. The one emphasizing the choice of man and the other emphasizing the choice of God. And they bring their theological positions and impose it on the text. And of course, the text before us is no exception. Uh, if we look at um, here with my one of by the way you know said these are my wife's glasses which they are but she has several pairs it's not like she's at home blinking her way through right I wouldn't do that Uh, it's just that it is a bit awkward my reading glasses where the one arm has fallen off and it just is very distracting so uh, hopefully the purple is not too bad for the rest of you to look at By grace ye are saved, verse 5, but more so in verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And of course, some want to say that the faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And even the ability to believe, and everything is by God's grace, and man has no part to play, and and on and on and on, these convoluted theological systems that lead to reactionary systems. Um, And my advice is that we avoid those things. We avoid those... um, Extremes that we avoid theological loyalties, that we come as children to learn of God and to grow in our understanding, rather than assume that we have it all figured out in our theological volume by our preferred theologian, that we grow in our understanding and wonder at God's grace. Let us let's think about it, shall we, brethren, um, uh, and then look uh, look at some of the the scriptures on the subject. Paul said, or wrote to the Corinthians, doth not nature teach you? The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God. We not think that the very fact that we exist is an act of God's grace. 
bodies. I, I, I have a childhood friend and we um, discuss and dispute um, via signal. He's in uh, British Columbia and he's an atheist and I'm a Christian and we go back and forth. Some things overlap heavily and sometimes our worldviews clash. But it's always without temper or name calling or any ill um, feeling. And I'm glad that we can discuss the most sensitive issues of life without any rancor. Um, he does better than so many Christians in that regard. Never once resorting to personal attacks over our stark differences. <clears throat> but uh, I, I forget just where, where uh, in our conversation we were. And I pointed out um, that I'm not very... Um, maybe outspoken, I don't know what the word is, in, or pushy. Um, he knows I'm a Christian. We talk about all sorts of things. Homeschooling, all sorts of things. Anarchy, what the meaning of those things are. But I, I said this, that uh, from a Christian perspective, or from a theist perspective, any believer in God, apart from wickedness, to live a life where the very atoms of our body were made by a creator. The very planet on which we live was made by him. The air that we breathe, the food that we consume, all things made by him and provided by him. And to deny his existence and disregard him entirely seems to be a great travesty. Now maybe my language is a bit convoluted. He's very, um, delves in philosophy a lot, so it's fine for him. But basically, our bodies are made by God. The air we breathe is made by God. The food we eat is made by God. And that's all of his grace. The Lord Jesus said, he maketh the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. His sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. Before we get to sin and salvation, the very fact of our existence is a gift of God's grace. We did nothing. Paul, um, Paul wrote that uh, we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we shall carry nothing out. Job, many centuries before Paul, said, Naked came I from my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. Now, don't think too hard about that. He clearly was not being literal. He wasn't referring literally to going back into his mother's womb when he dies. That would just be awful. The sisters have such a hard time bringing babies into the world, let alone um, getting rid of grown men when they're leaving. He's just talking about the fact that we come into this world with nothing and we leave with nothing. We don't bring ourselves into existence. We have no source in ourselves. Let's be real about this. Everything is by the grace of God. Every breath we breathe. The fact that we can get out of bed. just All of that is by God's grace. Whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian, you've got to acknowledge that. You had no will involved in coming into the world. Your mother gave birth to you through what I trust was a happy union. God, as, as David writes in the Psalms, you knew my members before they were formed and yet imperfect in the womb. God created Adam and through Adam and Eve the entire human race. And he created you and me. All of grace. The capacity to think is given to you and me by the grace of God. Just dealing before we get to theology and salvation. Let us think we are complete dependent beings. If our atmosphere were to disappear, we would all die in an instant. Our existence. We are dependent beings. I, um, I don't know how far I've gone to push that button with my childhood friend. But you know, he's very much on the idea of self-parenting and 
you know, um, basically being a grown-up. But the fact is, we are all dependents. We are as infants. Air, how long could we go without breathing? We are fragile, frail. Well did the prophet speak on behalf of God, fear not thou worm. Jacob. God wasn't insulting the people. He was reminding them of their mortality. As human beings, we are prone, because we are made in the image of God and have tremendous capabilities, to forget just how feeble we are. And so everything we have, brethren, is by grace. Just everything. Think of it. Bodies to run. Children are prone to complaining only because they have so much. They're spoiled. Tired. Just be thankful you have a body that's healthy enough to work hard so you can be tired. That you have a stomach that works so that you can feel hunger. That you are so well fed that you get to eat food that you don't enjoy. Because if you were truly hungry, every bitter thing would be sweet. We are so loaded with benefits, all given to us by the grace of God. And so, of course, salvation is by grace. How could it be otherwise? What that means in the nitty-gritty details, let's let's us uh, explore together what he means. You know, the, the faith, well, the language of the matter is, by grace are you saved through faith. And that, that's salvation by grace through faith. The whole thing is not of yourselves. It's not limited to the faith. It's the whole, by grace are you saved through faith. And that salvation is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. The whole um, thing. Not of works, lest any man should boast What does this word grace mean? I've heard different things. And people have made the word mean much more than it does. Because of its context. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. But um, grace uh, in the biblical um, use of it. Because there are several definitions, right? Right. It can refer to, and that is a few times, I think, in Scripture. It doesn't come to mind right now. You know, look at the grace of that, that uh, figure or that object or so on. It means beauty and uh, delicacy and so on. But that's not the definition that's in view here. The definition that the, we think of, saved by grace, it means favor. Favor. Um. And there are basically two concepts involved in, in the mind where grace is chosen. You think of light and dark, good and evil. You have grace and what would the other one be? Who's a brave theologian this morning? Begins with a W. I mean, you could put an M word in there or a D word. Grace and works. Grace and debt, grace and obligation, right? That's really um, the, the contrasting concept that the apostle gets at. Let's, grace is, is favor, benevolence, goodwill. It, it's speaking entirely on the part of the person showing the grace. And it has nothing to do with the merit or the lack of merit on the person receiving Because someone is gracious to you does not mean you are a good person or a bad person. It's not about that. It's about the person showing the grace. And that is the key point. Now, Paul underscores something else in that. But we're saved by the grace of God. The good favor of God towards mankind. Many passages on that. Let's look at the first appearance, I think, of the word in Scripture. Genesis chapter 6. Verse 5. 
And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We'll read one more verse. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Uh, One more we'll read. Tells Noah that he will destroy them destroy um, the earth and everyone. Chapter 7, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Now, it is interesting to note that the context in which we are introduced directly to the grace of God, where it is stated, not just the obvious by creation, God made man, but here Noah found grace. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And from our human perspective, and this is important to consider, from our human perspective, and the way the scripture presents it, let's follow this carefully, We're going to try and be precise. Noah was worthy of it. That's how the scripture reads. Noah, let's look at what the scriptures say in the context of grace. Now we can extrapolate. People don't like this. But we're just wanting to see what the scripture said. Noah was a just man. A righteous man. Perfect in his generations. And walked with God. That's a strong threefold core. And again, God says, come into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Now, folks want to put their theological biases on that. He didn't say he was righteous, says God saw him righteous. Well, actually, earlier the text did say, Noah was a righteous man. God saw what he was, a righteous man. Come into the ark because you're a righteous man. Not only in theory, this evangelical notion, God sees me perfect in Christ. Well, that is true. If you are perfect in Christ, that's how he sees you. Um, All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees us as we are. Let's be clear on that. And God saw that Noah was a righteous man. Noah walked with God. And Noah was perfect in his generations. And therefore, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was the only one to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it wasn't random. I've got your attention, those of you that are kind of thinking, Ooh, this is interesting ground. But this is what the scriptures... It wasn't random. There were many... Some have estimated that the population of the world at that time was what it is today or double. It wasn't like a few thousand people. If you make reasonable assumptions based on the information in Scripture, not based on the information with archaeologists and so on, that would be somewhere between mm, 7 and 16 billion people alive at that time. That's some estimates. In any case, it wasn't just a few thousand. That's a lot of people. One man found grace. And it was because he was a righteous man that walked with God. Look at this in, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 28.
No, I beg your pardon, it's not chapter 28. Uh, I think it is chapter 13. Um, uh, let's see here. I've lost my passage now. Oh dear, 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 dear. I might have to quote it. I'm sorry, brethren. I um, can't believe it. It was there this morning. I'll have to quote it. The Lord was, um, and then Sean will probably tell me where it is. The Lord was uh, reproving the people. And uh, where are we? 14, yeah, no, I'm not finding it. Ah, um, oh, yeah, there we are. Chapter 14. This is it. <clears throat> Verse 12. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and cut off man and beast from it. Judgment's coming. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. Noah delivered his soul and his families by his righteousness. Now the times in Israel were going to be so were so bad then that Noah would only go out of it by himself, not even his wife and children. The grace that Noah found of God, the favor was not a favor that he um, had earned in the sense that God had a debt. Otherwise, it's no more grace. When your boss pays you or your client, your client doesn't pay you out of their grace. They, pr- they pay you out of a debt. Right? A payment for services rendered is a debt to be paid. Let's uh, put it in a, a different context. Suppose you go to a restaurant, an expensive restaurant. Um, let's just remove any possibilities of, uh, uh, you know, undermining the illustration, although it probably still exists, and say it's an expensive restaurant and they, they, they automatically add in a tip to the price. So, you know, what's an expensive restaurant? To me, they all are. Um, go to a grocery store and buy a few apples and some water, and that's how I go on a date. With my, no, I don't really. That's it. I skip that step altogether. We just take a bag lunch and go on a picnic. Uh, very occasionally at that. And then once every, every couple of years or a couple of decades, we go out to a restaurant. Expensive restaurant. What would that be? $50 a plate? $100 a plate? One of these posh places, you know? I took my wife to a restaurant like that once. I got up to use the bathroom and the waiter rushed in and got my plate and put it under glass dome, you know, and took it away to keep it in a warming thing. And when I came back, he brings it, you know, like we got the treatment. Yeah. Been paying for it ever since. Well, no, a bit of, bit of hyperbole on that. But it was expensive, yeah. She's worth it. She'd be worth it every week if she'd married a richer man. You've got all of this built in. And at the end, you are so impressed with the service that you leave a tip. The bill is a debt you owe, tip and all, that's worked in. And the tip you give out of your grace. You're pleased with the service, you give a tip. You're not pleased with the service, you don't. The tip is out of your grace. Now, you can tip even a miserable person up to you and uh, if you're going to leave a gospel tract you should leave a tip and you should leave a generous tip if you're leaving a gospel tract regardless of the service but a tip is out of grace usually 
you tip because you are pleased with the service. All right, so that's a bit of an illustration. Um, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God didn't owe it to Noah to save it. That's the thing. But Noah was worthy. And the prophet says so. Uh, Noah delivered himself by his righteousness. Now, Noah was a man of faith. The just shall live by faith. That has always been true. Um, Noah's heart would have been pure. Noah's perfect in his generations. The way I would understand that is not that he was um, sinless as Christ, but that under the conditions in which he lived, he fulfilled everything that God reasonably expected of a human being. He was perfect in his generations. The righteousness that Noah lived would not have been acceptable, would not have been perfect in the new covenant. Because, but it was acceptable under the old. Noah wasn't regenerated with the Holy Ghost as the Christian. And so Noah was perfect in his generations, in his day. According to um, the time, it was before the covenant with uh, Abraham, it was before the law of Moses, and Noah fulfilled all that God expected of men and women in that day. That would be how I would understand the scripture. He was a just man, perfect in his generations, and he walked with God. And that's the introduction of grace to a human being. That's what comes afterwards. Before that, and this is amazing with God, God was grieved at the wickedness of man. Violence, his imagination, evil continually from his youth. What a horrible um, betrayal of humanity against a God that had made this world and all things in it. And they had betrayed God. As um, Solomon noted, God made man upright there in the garden. And they sought out many inventions. They created idols and developed um, awful awful, violent, and um, unclean religious systems to idols and to their heroes. And God showed grace. God searched the eyes of the Lord run to and fro in the earth, searching for him whose heart is perfect towards him. God looked at every single soul on the planet individually to see whom he could Preserve from damnation. In the midst of deserved wrath, and the scripture doesn't even mention wrath, just the judgment of God. God was full of grace. Isn't that wonderful? Grace, brethren, is primarily about God. God is a God of benevolence, grace, goodwill. He's holy, righteous, um, he is a judge of all. He is love, consuming fire, but the God of grace. So this is our introduction. It has a context. Now this is the grace of God as manifested under the old covenant. And this is what uh, men and women worked with uh, under the old covenant. <clears throat> And then God raised the standard even higher. He manifested his glory even more so. Imagine that when he, it repented him because of the betrayal of humanity. And I realize there are some very hard to answer questions that could arise in our minds through that. Nonetheless, with this betrayal of humanity given to violence and wickedness. Where God is, as it were, going to start over. Out of his grace, he looked for whom he could preserve and save. Humanity continued on this course of betrayal. The people, the covenant people of God, um, they turned on him as well and went to idols. God gave the law to an idolatrous people. Do you remember that? Um, Joshua. This is after Moses. Joshua 
said to the people, your fathers served idols on the other side of the flood. Not Noah's flood, um, the, the uh, Jordan, if I understand. People of God were always prone to idols. Jacob, when he left Laban's um, employment, his wife stealing her father's gods. He exhorted them after he was cleared that up with Laban and his wife uh, tricked uh, Laban. Said, you know, put away the gods that are among you. Joshua charging the people before his, uh, shortly before his departure. Choose you this day whom ye shall serve, right? Whether the gods on the other side. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elijah, when he confronted the people with their idolatry, said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, serve him. And if Baal be God, serve him. Probably have the order backwards. The people of God, covenant people. Isaiah the prophet complaining against them. Their idolatry. If you read this Bible... The Old Testament, the, you could leave a few, but one of the grand and most prominent themes of the entire Old Testament is God's complaint or controversy with his people over idolatry. So you see, that is the big theme and issue throughout the whole, the entire Old Testament. Is man's worshipping and serving of his own idols that he has made in rejection of loving, reciprocal devotion to his creator. You've served Rempham and Moloch, Isaiah would say, of the, the children of Israel. Forty years in the wilderness, idols. God carried, the way, carried them away captive to Babylon. That fixed their outward idolatry. After the captivity, they set up no more Idols, physically. But the idols in their hearts remained. And God sent uh, his only begotten son. John, in introducing him, said this. For the law was given by Moses. Chapter 1 and verse 17 of his gospel. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Earlier, he says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, favor. This was the angel's announcement, right? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This is grace. After all of that, God delivering righteous Noah. God chasing his people who were so wicked that though they had among them Daniel, Noah and Job. None would be spared save those three men. All of the betrayals over the centuries and the millennia. And yet God now comes himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Full of grace and truth. Manifesting that grace. Let's look at some of, uh, some of that grace in um, Mark chapter 7. I believe it's Mark chapter 7. Ah, mm. oh, beg your pardon. It's Mark chapter 9 is the one I'm thinking of. You have come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, verse 14 when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth. And pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples. And they 
that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answereth them and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this child, excuse me, since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Brethren, that was grace. The Lord Jesus didn't owe it to that man. He had no debt to him, no obligation. This man had not earned that healing. He's crying out, have compassion. He could have said, have grace. You see, the man was in dire need. The man was humble, broken, desperate. And Jesus showed him grace. It doesn't say he was a just man, perfect in his generations. It says he was a needy man. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Look, uh, how people think here. I think it's Luke chapter 7. I think I was confusing the, the two. This was compassion. Grace and compassion go together. It's not that the, the ob- we might think of the object of compassion. You're usually not compassionate to a monster. But the, com- the virtue in compassion is not the object, but the compassionate person. There it is. Luke chapter 7. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die and when he heard of Jesus he sent unto him the elders of the Jews beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant and when they came to Jesus they besought him instantly saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this for he loveth our nation and he hath built us a synagogue then Jesus went with them And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. We know what happened, the Lord healed. This is how people think. The man, filled with humility, said, Lord, I'm not worthy. But I know how authority works. Just, this is not worth your time and attention. <laughs> this is like the woman that said, just a crumbs from the table. The people, though, knowing this man, says he is worthy. And in human terms, that's what we'd think. Now, you go from worthy to deserving, to owed. They're not the same thing. Honor, gifts, mercies, they are bestowed because of the grace of the giver. That's the thing. This was grace. This was a Gentile. They had no right. A centurion. He is serving Caesar who had dominion and was extracting um, tribute from the Jews. Why didn't he forsake all of that and and become a proselyte? Join the people of God. See, this man, he knew his limitations. He knew where he was at, but he was a humble man. 
I'll leave it to you to judge who was right. Him saying I'm not worthy. Or the Jews who said he was. Regardless. The Lord didn't owe him anything. The Lord showed him grace. And what about the ten lepers? Have mercy on us. The Lord didn't do a grand inquisition as to what their lives were like. Leprosy was most often considered a judgment of God for sin. They asked, all ten of them, nine of them thankless, only one returning to give thanks. And the Lord knew that about them at the start. Grace. They were in need. They asked. But it wasn't that they, um, they certainly didn't earn it. The Lord Jesus healed people who asked, not considering whether they were worthy. Their grace, Noah, by all appearances in the scripture, Noah was worthy. Salvation because of his righteousness. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, whereby the, the, the riches of heaven were dispersed freely, without concern for people's worthiness. And he raised it even higher. Let's, let's go into Romans, shall we? Here it is, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. When we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the worthy. Sorry. Christ died for the righteous. It's not what it says, is it? This is the epitome of grace. When we were yet without strength, strength to perform the righteousness of the law, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Without the strength to do that, with hearts that love the creature more than the creator. Much less, we didn't love our neighbors as ourselves. When we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Paul addressing the nobility of the human spirit. Where some are brave, they're courageous enough to face death so that this worthy person would not be taken from society. There have been such rare instances of human courage and nobility. For a good man, some would even dare to die. You know, in the United States, the the, um, bodyguards, the secret service that protect their president, they're trained. I don't know the nature of the training. I don't know how extreme it is. But if there are shots fired at at the president, they throw themselves in front to try and take the bullet to protect the president from being shot. Seen one or two occasions of this. They just they hear shots. They just get in front. Take a bullet for the President of the United States. Regardless of their political um, persuasion. And how they vote. Give their life for the President. This patriotism and loyalty. For a good man. And that's not even necessarily a good man. There's some serious mental training that's done for that. For a good man. Some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love. Toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And he goes on, brethren. Paul is is writing to the Ephesians about grace. 
The grace of God. He's reminding them. He's coming to a point. He's passing by it. And I hope though that we are not weary of hearing the gospel again. And considering again the foundations of our faith and our life. That it might inspire us to live thankfully. The selfishness to which our human souls are so prone. How easy it is to, to um, be taken up in the moment. And I'm not talking about the filth of sin. Just the self-serving ways. To, to depart from that spirit that never for a moment was not with Christ. There wasn't a moment in his conscious or unconscious state where Christ Jesus had any concern other than to glorify his Father and to minister to humanity. He was consumed with it. Pure, absolutely pure gold. Holy fire. And for us, the remembrance that while we were sinners, when we were enemies, he loved us. He who sat in the heavens, for whom time is laid out more effortlessly than a map, and the beginning known from the end, and the end known from the beginning, saw that sinner, that rebel, that selfish brute, doing all manner of hateful things, and loved him enough to take those sins upon himself. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I don't know all the hows and whys at all. But somehow God knew how it would turn out. And right when he made man. He knew he was going to have to suffer. For his sins to redeem him. That's what the scriptures say. This gracious God. Loves you. Paul said he. Christ Jesus who loved me. Gave himself for me. The scriptures don't say explicitly and we're left to speculate. Was the young Pharisee Saul ever there with the rest of the Pharisees that were antagonistic at Christ Jesus? Had he seen him in the flesh and hated him personally? It may have been much more than just a zealot who came later and wanted to stamp out this errant Judaistic sect, this messianic sect, he may have had a personal hatred for Christ as he saw the Lord Jesus humiliate and expose the hypocritical Pharisees that were Paul's elders and contemporaries. Of him he said, he loved me and gave himself for me. That's grace, brethren. The favor of God Not on the righteous Noah. Not on the humble, worthy supplicant. But on the hateful sinner. Was the grace of God given. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of thankfulness. He is worthy of a response like blind Bartimaeus. And flinging aside everything else. And running to follow Jesus in the way. Blind Bartimaeus did that because his eyesight was restored. Cast aside his begging garment. That was his only livelihood. Just to follow Christ. How much more have we been healed than blind Bartimaeus? For by grace are you saved. Whatever your state, the Lord Jesus spoke of him who was forgiven much and him who was forgiven little. But we had nothing to pay. Remember the parable? For as much as they had nothing to pay. They owed, is it Matthew 20 or Matthew 18? A certain um, man had, you know, servants. And one of them owed him 10,000 talents. That is a lot of money. I think a talent is 60 pounds of gold. 10,000 times 60. It's a lot. Pounds of gold. The Lord used clearly hyperbole. How would you ever owe that? Nothing to pay. And he just forgave him out of his grace. 
because he asked for it. That's the thing. Brethren, you're saved by grace. Through faith, this grace is given to you and me through believing. Jesus Christ was set forth on a cross. The sins of all humanity, yours and mine included, placed upon him. And you and I are told to believe that that sacrifice for sins was accepted of God. Believe with all the heart. And through that faith, that grace of God is ministered. All your sins forgiven. And not only so, but baptized into his death and regenerated the Holy Spirit. We've spoken of those things in our earlier studies. And Paul's reminding them, by grace you're saved, by grace you're saved, brethren. We need to keep this in mind as Christians. It is a tragedy that Christian people can be some of the most self-righteous and judgmental people on the face of the earth. And a large part of it is because we forget that we are saved by grace. We forget that we were that man with 10,000 talents of debt. Forgive And we can never afford to forget it. And Paul's reminding them there. Remember it was put parenthetically. Quickened together with Christ. By grace you're saved. Raised us up together. Made us sit together in the heavenly places. That in the ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And his kindness. Toward us through Christ Jesus. By grace you're saved. Through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Paul goes on at length of this in Romans. He says it's by grace. Otherwise it's no more grace. If it's by work, right? Work, labor, debt, God owes you. God doesn't owe you. It's a gift. We serve a gracious, generous God. Brethren, let that generous, gracious God dwell in you and minister grace to all whom you encounter. The ministers of grace. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And if I may so say, grace and truth needs to come through Christian people. Grace that saves, not a law that condemns. Not a grace that coddles you in your sin. Jesus Christ never did that. But a grace that lovingly lifts you out of it. Receive that grace, brethren. Every day. Every hour. And minister that grace. Favor. Goodwill toward men. It's uh, one Way of expressing the nature of God. Grace. Favor. Think of Esther. We're, our time is through, I know, sitting on these hard benches. I can see a couple, you know, squirming and looking at the clock. Think of Queen Esther. And for the interest of time, we won't go and read the story again. Her people were imperiled. And because she was a Jewess, she was potentially imperiled. She had been warned, don't think your status in the palace is going to save you. She said, all right, go and fast for me. And she put on the best apparel, right? The law was that uh, no one could go before the king without being the golden scepter extended. And then you had to go and touch it. It was grace extended. She is humanity in their pomp. They, they capture some of the divine things. God has put the world in their hearts, the whole nature of things, in the minds and consciences of men. And Queen Esther stood there and she found favor with the king. She went before him. He extended to her the golden scepter. It's a picture of the church and Christ accepted in the beloved. God's favor extended. Sister, brother, when you go to pray, go and read that story again and think of it. When you come before the king with your petition, what is thy petition, Queen Esther? What is thy desire? It shall be granted you to half my kingdom. And think of your heavenly father when you go to pray. When a church, more particularly, 
uh, in agreement, in the love of Christ together, go before the king, he stretches forth that scepter. What is thy position? It shall be granted thee to the half the kingdom. God is a God of grace. He has provided redemption and salvation out of his benevolence, his goodwill, his favor towards men. While we were yet sinners, how much more now that you have cast the world, however faltering and struggling you may feel, if when you were his purposeful enemy, or at the very least, because some of you come from such fine homes, it's just self-servingly showing the back, not the face to God. If he loved you then and extended salvation to you then, notwithstanding your own sense like that centurion, I'm not worthy, he's still full of favor and grace towards you, extends it. Much more being reconciled by his death, we shall be saved by his life. I think we should leave there. Brother, did you have a word you wanted to come and share? Brief one? All right.